something to do with yellow hill that was like a term they used from crouching tiger hidden dragon yeah and i don't remember how that fit into my email i'm not gonna say my email um, <laughs> no, don't say it again don't do that. That. No. yeah yeah if you want to talk to paul you go through us the rest mm-hmm. of us through the normal email yeah spinecrackerspod at gmail.com yes a for blockchain any, uh, of three for send nudes <laughs> blockchain <laughs> i like i mean obviously crouching tiger hidden dragon the wire technology alone was, Ep- yeah. You just had to be, a f- you know, it came out at the perfect time. I was also a fan. I wanted the green jade sword that they were trying to get. Mm-hmm. So cool. <laughs> I don't remember any of this. Redundant. The movie was fucking awesome. Is that was true? It, was it, is it redundant to say green jade? There's, is there no other type of jade? I guess jade is a material and green. I don't know. And, and g- well, jade is, is jade is jade is a stone. Yeah. Is it a stone? Like, yeah. Yeah. It, but are there other colors of it though? I'm gonna type. I'm gonna Google uh, uh, shades of the same jade. color. Jade. It's a it's a it's a mineral, right? Mostly yeah. green, gonna, mostly green varieties, but also appears naturally in yellow and white. So, I'm gonna okay. t- I'm gonna up Google yours, jade, Matt. Dot dot dot. I, whoa. <laughs> Although, thank you for elucidating so that there's other types of jade. I had no idea. Yeah, jade neither. was synonymous with green to me until now. There's white mm-hmm. and yellow versions. Damn. I guess so. So that's the jade geology. Jade has six natural colors. Green, lavender, red, yellow, white, and black. Lavender sounds sick. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Give me a lavender sword. Ah, give me, I want lavender jade. We Let's all buy each other different jade swords. <laughs> For Christmas. That we, that we combine when we meet each other and make hey, it is my Hey, it is my birthday coming up, guys. So That's true. That and is Christmas true. generally. Happy holidays, everybody. Um, mm-hmm. We're back. Basically enough, close enough for me to say that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think anytime, anytime like b- like the week before Thanksgiving to the week after New Year's, you can say happy holidays. holidays. It's yeah. the holidays. Bingo. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I hope everyone's. <laughs> we're still uh, we're still shaking off the cobwebs a little bit here, folks. Yeah. Um, this is the uh, Spinecrackers podcast, and we're back from our very, very com- comparatively brief hiatus compared to the last one we took. Right. Yep. We all met each other in person and hugged. Everyone came kissed. to visit me at the at my at my bunker in an undisclosed location. To, that has uh, been revealed on the podcast before, but we won't say it again now. Has it? Make them make work for I'm it I'm pretty sure. Bit. The state. Probably the state. Yeah. We've all, yeah. through context clues, revealed where we actually are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yes. guys, you guys way more specifically than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could pretty much pit, figure out the town precisely where these two live if you wanted to. I would love to be big enough for some nerd on Suicide Watch to try and take my life. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm just going to tell you my GPS coordinates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you make it to the end, past the Harry Potter segment, you'll get my coordinates. Just Paul at the end in his, just in his town, just like, you've made it so far, but not vanquished me. <laughs> he has oh one of those God. stupid wands, fake wands from the world of Harry Potter experience or whatever at Disney. That the wizarding works. world, dude. The wizarding yeah. world of Harry Potter. <laughs> It's I, not I, Disney. It's Universal Orlando, dude. Come it is, on. and, it, and it's it also not stupid. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. It's objectively cool. <laughs> oh. So what's new, everyone? I, we're we're back. Spinecrackers podcast. If I'm you if, if you missed us, yeah, I'm Gabe. I'm Paul. And um, yeah, we're back. We're better than ever. We're. Uh, <laughs> We're better We're, than ever. We got uh, some great stuff coming up, including a uh, next time a uh, end of the year awards ceremony spectacular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just an absolute spectacular. It's gonna be a spectacular. Yeah, <laughs> just a variety yep. show with goofs and spoofs, spills and thrills, and just an absolute. Yes, I'm renting a Ferris wheel to ride the entire time. We'll hosted, record. Hosted by Billy Crystal. Yes, it, it's just not us. It's just, Billy, <laughs> yeah. just Billy Crystal just has to read all three of our parts in a different voice. That would rule. It would, would rule. It would be an be achievement. It would be an achievement of voice acting for the ages. That's for sure. Right. Bring him out of retirement. Yeah. From hang, hanging out with the Yankees all the time. Yeah. Or the Mets. I think Get it figured out. I don't know. I don't know either. I stupid, say, Paul, stupid. I, I should say, know. I want to say he's a Yankees fan, but I'm not 100. percent You're gonna get a stern off the show reprimand later. from Billy Crystal himself, <laughs> who Crystal. we know is a listener. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I'm going to hell. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. At this point in my life, if it was to end right now, I probably would still. Maybe one of the circles. Maybe, maybe one of the less bad circles. Mm-hmm. Or, or did we could all just be radically wrong about the whole metaphysics of it. That's true. We have to figure yeah. that out in the philosophical seg- segment of our <laughs> reading we, uh, book, book club. We got to get in that mindset for this one. Yeah, yeah, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah, we do have we do have a bit of a we do have a bit of a thinker on our hands here today, folks. As, 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 as it were, heads a bit of a head scratcher. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I've had to put the old thinking cap on when I was started reading some of the words in this. Just just once or twice. There basically yeah. were a lot of high level ideas. <laughs> they were coming fast and thick, and honestly, I was starting to get scared. I'm. St- yeah, did you have a scare? I did, and I'm, I had a scare. I'm still in recovery mode for sure. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So let's dive right into it, huh? <laughs> I, yeah. We were talking about this a little bit off pod, but <laughs> off pod. I love that. That's a ruined phrase now. When that's a lot of our interactions. What? Me and you were actually talking about this off the show, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't say that now. Why not? Why not? Because it's it's. Uh, not because it's bad, but just because it's like silly and like said a lot. It so has mystique and wonder for the listeners. I didn't know. Like, I didn't oh. know that you weren't allowed to say that anymore. No, I'm joking. I'm making it. It's more. I'm just making fun of that. That Tim Heidecker, <laughs> Joe Rogan spoof. So yeah. We actually talked about this off the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And you were saying like. <laughs> I um, but so today, Matt's, episode Matt's pick 
My pick, The Confidence Man by Herman Melville. We'll be discussing mm-hmm. that. So why'd you pick this book, Matt? And uh, what's the what's the conceit? What's it about? Um, uh, okay, yeah. So I I picked it just because I mean, first of all, it's just it's Herman Melville, like I don't know. <laughs> I was just like I, I I I've attempted to read Moby Dick probably like three times and uh, What happened? I don't know. Did you did you like it or no? I actually did. I don't really know why I stopped. Just hey, bored. what happened? Hey, I don't know. My grandmother was so like disappointed in me because she would partake in the uh, the like I, they do this in a lot of places, right? Like the Moby Dick read a thons, like yearly. Yeah, I think they. I, I'm pretty sure they happen every year, like Bloomsday and stuff. But it's just where like people. Ooh. People gather and over the course of I don't know how long, like read sections of Moby Dick. My grandma oh, used to do this. That's crazy. I know people do that still with Infinite Jest, also. Yeah. Infinite Summer, whatever it's right. Called. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, same, same, same idea. I think. So, um, one of these glaring uh, lacunae in my uh, in my reading, and somebody who I don't know why I just like. It was a little bit of guilt, and then I heard about the conceit of this one, and uh, just thought it sounded like really interesting. Have you read any? What like are you too, Paul? Have you guys read any other Herman Melville? Like I read, I've read uh, what's fucking called Bartleby, but I think that's it. I haven't read any. Right. This was my the, Shri- the Shrivener. Yeah. The guy that I prefer not to mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. And I think the only reason I read it is because I heard Zizek making that reference back, <laughs> so in, back in the day. And I was like, okay. No, I actually read the books and shit, dude. <laughs> I So I don't even have that. Like, um, so I don't, uh, yeah. It's one of these cases where I just don't have a, a great reason. I just know the name Melville. I've been meaning Wait, to. Wait, so you haven't read up. any other Melville other than your attempts at Moby Dick? That's right. Okay. I was just double checking. He, him like Poe and uh, Emerson and some other American writers, I've been meaning to bone up on and like, you know, actually familiarize myself with. Um, and so, yeah, that's the part of this process. And uh, this being Melville's last ever, I believe, published work. Mm-hmm. Emerson just, slaps. Justin, and he gets roasted in this. Uh, he, yeah, Emerson does kind of get roasted in this. And Thoreau, is, they both, they, they, they become yeah. a little bit of a comedic duo. Right. So that's, that's funny already. And just like, it being his last, like where it lands chronologically in American history is interesting to me. And then I just heard that it was like. Which is where again? When was this published originally? I don't remember. 1857. 57. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So just right, <clears throat> you know, just right before the civil war, um, and then just like the fact that it's just like all of these scam artists on a boat talking to each other uh, and uh, kind of being the living embodiments of various types of scams <laughs> and ways in which to manipulate people's trust in order to rip them off, basically. The rough and dirty of that See, it was just funny to me. And I was like, that sounds cool. I'm going to I want to I want to start with this. I think this is a good pick for our uh, podcast because we 
I don't know. I think a couple of our picks, we've kind of picked the most critically, like, discouraged book by the author. I'm thinking of, like, The Miner. It's kind of like a minor type yes. book for Melville. Yeah, we, we seem to do that over and over again. There definitely like, we, was... we pick the most idiosyncratic, like, least critically well-received book from a lot of these people for some reason. Yeah. There is a dearth of shit on this book out there for in the public sphere. Gabe, you, you sent us some legal, I don't know, uh, <laughs> academic articles. No, no. I don't think... I, it's all about board? Yeah. Uh, on the subject, but man, there's... There there's pl- and there's plenty of... that. That's the thing. I mean, again, this is not probably not a can of worms we want to open, but there's... There's a huge, not huge, not like Moby Dick, but there's a plenty of academic literature about this text, but not a lot of, you know, not a lot of popular that, engagement yeah. with it. And that's that's also what I was when once I was like, you know, poking around trying to find stuff. I was like, well, we can remedy that too if this is any good. Which spoilers? I happen to think it is. Dude, spoiler alert. We're back. Gabe took a huge shit. We had to stop the show. (laughs) (laughs) It was was so bad that we had to stop the show. All green lights. I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave you guys in the lurch because I didn't know how long it would take. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And uh, so let's try and find the find it again. We're back. We're back. We're back. Yeah, I did. You got to try to find the magic. (laughs) So, So, Matt, you were saying you liked the book. You you sort of gave a little bit of a summary about. You know, so okay. What, where does this? What uh, this book takes place on a riverboat, right in the Mississippi, mm-hmm. on April first. Yes, all Fool's April Day. Fool's Day of which year? I forget exactly which year it takes place in. Is it not just contemporaneous with? Uh, I feel with like it's. His? It may be. I feel like it's specified, but I, I, I forget if it's uh, different or exactly the same. But um. Yeah, and then as you said, it sort of just follows. I mean, this is one of the kind of questions that we're that that's going to become relevant. Is is this a character that we're following, or multiple characters, or I th- I think none at all? Well, yeah, and I think all of those are relevant ways to, or like they all have validity, which is also the point, you know, to a degree, right? <laughs> Uh, but I think there is like a, at least a, you know, a finite numbered cast of people that float Mm. in and out basically. And a lot of them are introduced at the very beginning and then they like pop back later. Um, it's, it's a finite number, but it is very large. There's a lot of fucking characters in this book to keep track of. Yeah. I think there's like seven, like sort of like mainstay kind of like keep cropping up, but there's a ton more who just flit in and out and really just like, you know, enter stage left, exit stage right, <laughs> done, never right. come again. Um, and the boat is called what? Le Fidel? The Fidele. Il Fidele, which is another little joke. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming that means, I didn't look that up, I'm assuming that just means the truth. Or true or something. I think it means like loyal or something like that. Oh, or loyal, like, loyal. Or some, like, Fidelity. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, you're so just already right out the gate, just loading it up with like kind of ironic. I don't know, just like little little jokes right at the gate. Yeah, like it being on April Fool's Day, and yeah. So I mean, I, it thinks like 
my read is that we're basically following one one guy. You think who, that? Mm. Uh, yeah, I, that's my read. Okay, on but but I think it's worth talking about for sure. But you, you're you, it's it's a ser- it's essentially a series of sometimes very complicated, sometimes very simple vignettes of this person and or multiple persons um, who is going around this boat essentially conning people in various ways. Pretending to be injured, um, selling fake insurance, pretending to work for uh, a company that like can, can contract you out with day laborers, um, and oh, and on and on and on, right? Because is it what is it the it's uh, the confidence man and then what's the the masquerade his masquerade yeah the subtitle like is his masquerade the confidence okay. man his masquerade so that's one reason I think it's one guy because it yeah. says his mm-hmm. singular and the other reason is at the very beginning of the book there's a reference made to like a wanted poster of a guy who's been going yes. around the area scamming people yes yeah yeah. So, but but I'd be curious to hear, like in your reading of it, what sort of maybe pointed you potentially in the other direction as well. Well, <clears throat> I th- I read it. I mean, today I was hanging out with Matt. And I asked him like that exact question. I just was I was kind of unclear because I was reading it as as just one person. That was my just like initial inkling. But I was obviously confused because every character seems to be titled differently and. I mean, they're on a freaking boat. So how how big could the boat be? How could this one guy like shape shift into multiple people without other people being like, right? That's that's the herb doctor, or no? That's the guy who's like talking to me about orphans, or you know? Yeah. So there's like a level of unbelievability to it being one guy, to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's that it, there is definitely a a strangeness to it in that sense because. The, the the dude you know the dude assuming it's it's one person um you know he he changes like race he changes like accents he changes like essentially every i think the only thing he doesn't change is gender i don't think he ever appears as a woman um but not he, the goneral potentially or i guess maybe not say again the goneral do you remember her no the, it's like kind of a weird reverse like gaslight where she kind of gaslights this other guy and gets him to seem insane by like her being mean to uh, their daughter. Together. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't see that's that was one moment where I don't know. I don't know if. Yeah, I didn't think that that was the confidence man in no, that no. moment. So, yeah, because yeah. that was um, a story relayed and there's there's a number of nested stories as well. Yeah, exactly. Um so but but anyway, you're right, Paul. That this this guy like changes everything about himself. Seemingly like we temporality is a little bit lost. It takes place over the course of one day and it mm-hmm. gets progressively, you know, later, but seemingly very quickly <laughs> at certain at certain points, like very sort of relatively quick intervals. Um and so I wonder if there there is a, some sort of element of of kind of unreality to it. Uh, in that in that sense, but yeah, I don't know. I kind of forgot about the wanted poster in in just sort of getting subsumed in all the other mm-hmm. all the other things that because there's so there's such a like range of things discussed, and it is so kind of like episodic 
in ways or like vignette like so like mm-hmm. you know my simple brain does kind of just get like uh I may have lost the thread that is the all the hints being dropped that it is a single person, but I just sort of assumed myself that it was uh, it, it was the confidence man as newly labeled uh, archetypal being that does contain the many masks, like as in it's you know the the many faces of of people who are, I guess ontologically different, but they're like representative of the same phenomenon um just in all of its many guises yeah i i I mean i guess i I think there's definitely something to that and certainly like that's something melville would have been concerned about you know in terms of the kind of emerging just like thematically the emerging sense of american individualism as an identity formation and kind of like the ways in which this character in this book um kind of subverts that as a goal of of both like literary realism of the time and of the the idea of an american self where yes. the it, what this character does is you know kind of undermine that 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 very idea right that there is like a stable identity that's you as an individual that can be pointed it's it, for this person it's really all their identity is in their moment to moment social relations and their to some degree their outward appearance as well. Um and I think like I don't know for me the, the other reason that I just narratively that I just assumed that it was one person is that there are people who like the setups for some of the scams are very complicated to the point that like one person will like mention another person that they've met on the boat in order to get the the person they're speaking to, to go seek that person out and give that person money. So I just, I think that that some of the scams are like too, and and to some degree they all hang together in that way. Not all of them like as much as some of the individual ones, but like there's clearly a kind of like long con that this person's running, like a chain of cons that all hang together narratively amongst themselves. Um, and that was another reason that I think that it's, I, I feel pretty strongly that it's one person. I, you know, I, I buy that and I, I, it never really, it, it, that idea escaped my conceiving of the book as I was reading it at some point, but I like it, you know, I I think, sorry, mm. go ahead. No, 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 you go. I was just going to say like thematically though, I think it, it makes more sense for it not to be just one character to me. I I just thought like Melville's one of Melville's themes was just like, this is, uh, this is most of America as an individual now, like these types of people. So why, why would it just be narrowed down to one character when I, when I felt like he was trying to make a point about like society as a whole, um, well, it's, I, I think it's because the point he's trying to make about America, you know, whatever, we can talk about his intentionality, but I think the theme that's like relevantly at play or, or you know, deeply at play here is that there is no such thing as, like, if they were all different people, then those people would all be different individuals that we could point to and say, this person has such and such characteristics, this person has such and such characteristics. I think mashing them all together in this amalgam where there's no there's no stable identity that we can point to, that really ruptures 
like what was going on in American thinking and philosophy. Like this is why the Emerson and Thoreau bit is important uh, in terms of like the individual and self-reliance and all that sort of stuff. What Melville's doing here kind of like shatters that and really undermines it in some philosophically profound ways where there is no stable self. There is no stable identity. It's all in the sort of like chaotic contingent flow of social relations and um, appearance. Which and having is- and having it be one person emphasizes that in a, in a much more kind of like distilled way to, to me. So you just think personally that it's like the stronger literary move and that that's why he probably did it? I, I I certainly think it's the stronger literary move, and I mean, I'll, I'll I mean I'll confess I, I had the opposite experience. It never crossed my mind that they were multiple people, um, ever. Both I guess for some of the reasons that I've said, but just like the title it's, refers to one guy. But well, yes, I yeah I I guess I I wonder if it's more like all all notions are are kind of equally able to be entertained and that's also part of the confusion i don't like the 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 fundamental truth that it's one guy you know first of all like which of the con people would you say are the confidence man uh versus like the kind of uh random people he he tries to fleece over the course of the book well, this is why this is why I said earlier that it's it that, that the nature of his identity is relational, right? Like he is the confidence man in relation to those that he fleeces, and that's it, right? It's this purely relational, purely sort of intersocial identity. Um, you know, and like so so basically in all of these vignettes, whoever scams the other person, that's the confidence man. Right. Right? Uh but I think that's one person or one like physical body, I guess we can mm-hmm. say. Right. Um, now, there are moments I, I do think it's important and like we're we're maybe getting ahead of like bouncing around a little bit. But there are, I think, moments where this gets really muddled. So, for example, when when the confidence man is taking the identity of um, what's his name, Frank Goodman. And he's yeah. talking to, and he's talking <laughs> the to cosmopolitan, the cosmopolitan, aka Frank Goodman. Yeah, right. And he gets in that. There's a very long section where he gets involved in this philosophical discourse with a guy named Charlie Noble, mm-hmm. and um, they kind of start. It, it becomes this kind of like you get the sense that Noble is also kind of a scammer. You don't know exactly his angle, but they get into this kind of like game of chicken with each other, and. Um, it goes on for very uh, quite a bit, and one of the things Melville does in that section is totally eliminates like attribution in the dialogue to the point where it becomes virtually impossible to keep track of like which character is saying what. Yeah, and so I do think he plays a, a bit with this, you know, where is the identity of the confidence man, and playing this kind of like shell game with people's physical bodies. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think those those cases are a little bit rarer when it's like, I don't know, more more obvious to me. I like that segment. It's two guys trying to both see if like the other will like give them money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But just through these like horribly long, bloviating, oblique ways of being like, 
here's how I'm going to defend my whole entire worldview of trusting persons and how it's it's important to your like whole, uh, you know, allowing yourself to have the title of human being and then quietly just like, so can I get like ten dollars, dude? <laughs> and you just. <laughs> And then the guy's like, whoa, how dare you? I, I, you know, of course it comes down to base currency trading. And then that guy sort of reacts to that. And then slowly he just was like, and if, and so if you were real about what you're saying, you should, you should give me $10. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. It's, well, the, the book is super funny. I mean, it's, it was funny to me mostly because, I mean, for me, it was, it was hyper difficult to read. It's and it's just like the old language or something, but I had yeah. You like, were saying on a prose basis, it just wasn't even sticking that well in your head. No, it's like I read the first half twice. I told you this today, and it's like I don't. I feel like I just didn't read it. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's hyper complicated. There's the sentence structure is obviously like old. It's not old English, but it's what a lot what of commas. You, a lot of commas. You know, well, that's pretty I would say the high level say, vocabulary. Yes, I think the fact that this is Melville's like latest, I think even on a prose level, like the way I think they're called Oxford commas. I can't remember. Gabe, would you say that these are Oxford commas we're we're encountering here in this book a lot of the time? Um, where specifically? I I didn't I didn't oh, notice I didn't notice like a predominance of them. No, but maybe. But I'm not, like, I'm not I'm not I don't, honestly I I confess to not paying particularly close attention to grammar when I read. Well, I'm just saying it, it, it matters in this, and Paul was saying even th- that it was... I think it's even hard <coughs> for the time period, because Melville, I think, was, even in, on a sentence structure level, like, hiding the, like, subject-object relations in, like, nested, like, sentences addressing different things and, like, going off on tangents and only circling back until, like, the very last fucking minute. Uh, mm. So I just think even, like, prose structure was playing a shell game of sorts to, on you in terms of what was even being talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's at least for like the true. longer passages where people are really flying into like their, you know, the high style where they where whenever I always knew that, like whenever something was starting to go long, like with like Frank Goodman and, and whatever, it's like, that's when you knew somebody was, was trying to put something over someone else. Well, it, that's good to know actually. Cause you know, I, I think I was thinking this whole time or the whole time reading it was like, is this how like basic people from <laughs> from the year 1850 just talk to each other like on a <laughs> boat going down the Mississippi River? <laughs> They're just like no. having these long like Oxford dictionary type <laughs> type uh, conversations with each other. And uh, it's good to know that that kind of was not what was happening. Yeah, well, I mean, it's certainly a, a like a. a stylistic imitation of what the confidence man is doing to his victims in terms of Melville's writing of it. Um, yeah. I, I think that's, that's perceptive and, and true and right. Yeah. Cause I, I remember like, I was actually listening to a crime podcast in the car and uh, the term confidence man just happened to come up like while and while I was in the midst of reading this book and like the way it was described was like somebody also like um attempting someone who convinces you through trust that you are in a better position than they are which i i don't yeah you know what i mean like just like that somehow they're in the weaker position and and you'd be like helping them 
buddy out. Which is basically this character's mo, right? That's the con- that's what he does yeah. this whole time, right? You know, um, and and the book. So the book kicks off right away. You said there's like the the wanted poster, and then people are queuing up to board the boat, uh, and there's a uh, there's like a black man who's like mutilated, and I don't think he has like legs. Uh, well, well I, I I actually think something really important happens even before that. Oh, go for which it. Which is which is where there's the um, the like mute homeless guy holding up the signs while the right. cr- while the crowd is kind of like thronging and and boarding the boat. And I think he's um, deaf, dumb, and mute. Yeah, he's supposed to be like deaf, this this total. Uh, I don't know what the term for that is. Um, <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, owned. if there is one, you know, let us know. Um, if there's any. Never mind. I can't say that. <laughs> that's, um, that's a mean joke in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, but um, so anyway, he th- th- this 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 dude goes up, I believe, like right around to the um, the placard, the wanted poster. Uh, or is it the wanted poster that he's standing next to, or is it the barber's sign? I think it's the wanted poster. Um. And he's holding up all these, you know, he's basically, it's basically like a whiteboard that he right. keeps like writing on and erasing. I, 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 maybe, I guess it's maybe a chalkboard, but he's basically writing like, you know, charity, charity thinketh no evil, charity endureth all things, charity yes. believeth all things, charity never faileth. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of disappears. I think that's already the confidence man. Yeah. Kind of like setting seeding. up, seeding this idea in everyone boarding the boat that he's going to prey on later. You know, these values of charity, trust, which were like very important, seen as very important social socially for like the maintenance of the American still relatively new American state. Right. As as a sort of like um, um, part of the glue of like social cohesion. Right. And so he's exploiting that. And I think I think that's already him from the jump. Yes. And that was like part of like the the whole like sinister aspect of the disillusion of this and like I, I for one of the academic articles i forget what it was it was like describing the slow transformation of the confidence man as an archetype and uh in from like the the kind of like the antichrist kind of like the fucking the you know acid that's gonna melt everything down into the heroic uh entrepreneur essentially like the man oh that's really interesting yeah who lives about his wits and like kind of like just and and this is why the emerson thing is so interesting because like uh and the thoreau thing like you know the, the I, I so there's like a moment we should just be explain oh, sure, sure, explain yeah. this the, the, the like there's a um i forget the names that they're given matt do you remember but there there's this old there's this older guy who espouses this like philosophy and then his young disciple that oh uh, he's just called uh, yeah he's called the mystic the mystic and, then, and i forget what his disciple's name is but he has another funny kind of like dickens style name that is like means what he is you know yeah what I mean? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but anyway the the confidence man uh encounters these two guys and engages them in philosophical conversation in an attempt to scam them and these are like pretty, oh i got it yeah it's mark it's mark winsome mark winsome right and, and his disciple egbert right <laughs> and these are pretty obviously based on the, the the type of philosophy they're they're espousing. 
me, I, I personally think Melville's pretty uncharitable to Emerson, and it's he's ironically he's, he's pretty uh, uh, unfairly representing Emerson's actual philosophy. That's a, that's a different that's pa- that's, that. that's Patreon only content. Um, but these are clearly meant to be um, um, uh, uh, stand-ins for Emerson and, and Thoreau. Yeah. So sorry, keep going with your point. And you know, I, I agree that they're uncharitable, and uh, but Melville. I think, first of all, Melville was, like, acutely, I think, sensitive, to, you know, to bullshit and, you know, had some generational trauma thereof, you know, like, uh, especially with people fleecing uh, for loans and then having, it, you know, compound interest and his family was ruined by something like that, I believe. Um, so I think there's a reason he goes so hard in those particular avenues of the thing. But then... Uh, yeah, like, he, but but like, as uncharitable as it was probably to like Emerson's philosophy, he was still observing like real ills that were starting to like, right? You know what I mean? Like, he was like righteous against these these real yeah. things that were starting to crop up in in America. I guess like these. Well, like- and I think that 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 point you made from that article about like the gradual. Um, turn from these scammer confidence men figures as like a a social blight Mm -hmm. into like effectively like the model of fucking elon musk and stuff right these these days like where it's like yeah you you get ahead where where and how you can and uh get scrappy and fucking you know do whatever you need to do you know what i mean and that becoming the sort of like so the shift in american ethos over time i think that that Maybe that's something Melville himself was already perceiving in. And again, I think this is a vulgar reduction of Emersonian, like people talk about like self-reliance. He wasn't talking about capitalism, but um, but I think that's you're right that that's probably something Melville was was thinking about. But an but a sort of epidemic misinterpretation of Emerson, you could see as just sort of the negative fallout of something that uh, Emerson might have not made clear enough in Definitely. Opinion, Definitely. You know? And yeah. it's like, if there's a net negative that you can see, maybe you know, it's still worth being like, fuck you. <laughs> I don't know. I agree with you. I think it's not nice. I don't think that's what Memerson meant, but. No, for sure. Um, So you don't think, the, did you say that you don't think Melville was talking about capitalism with this book? No, no, I'm, I just was talking about, I, I was making like a kind of a side point about Emerson oh, okay. and Melville's sort of like, potentially you know implied critique of some of emerson's uh, uh philosophy okay because mark winsome is like uh i mean isn't he just kind of basically like a crypto calvinist or something he's he's, yeah. he's propounding what's called the philosophy of no help right <laughs> right 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 <laughs> which is which like... which which is kind of a direct inverse to emerson's idea of self-reliance right at least linguistically right where it's just, you know, it, it's kind of what we're still contending with. Like, we always lament, like, exceptionalism and radical individualism as being still kind of like what's what's poison now about the U.S., kind of, you know? People, people falling back on these, like, fundamental myths that really, like, fuel everyone's behavior in ways that are just basically negative and short-sighted and self-centered. And that starts around this time, 
which is just why it's such an interesting time period in the U.S. as well. Like, you know, he's this is just before we have our first ever, like, split right down the middle internal conflict. You know, it's like yeah, it's in it's the a, air. Yes. Three years before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, here's I for how soon after this? When did Melville die? I forget. He died in 1891. Yeah. He, oh, OK. He so he, lot, he kept it together for a while because he then like he wrote he published this and then like changed. He, he became like some kind of office worker for the rest of his life. Right. Well, he was like yeah. uh, he was a lecturer. Um, But yeah, he just like kind of lost the uh, the will to write because he was his career was going downhill slowly. Um, and this one was like the, the worst of the worst in terms of critical acclaim. So he just kind of gave up, but he still lived for what, like 30 more years. Yeah. He famously died and his name was misspelled in his obituary. Yep. Just a po- complete, completely poor. <laughs> yeah. People were just like, eh, weird guy. You can get his books. He wasn't revived until the twenties. Uh, mm. Uh, you know, obviously, like our boy Joyce, <laughs> just ear, e- just constantly, just you know, into the pop culture, but was like, you know, have you read? You know, Moby Dick is the reason Moby Dick. Yeah, it's it's what everyone read and was like, this is actually incredible. So, like in the twenties, uh, there was this revival where uh, U.S. publishers were trying to like, and I, I don't know what else, were trying to like rediscover the American tradition in liter- literature. And that's kind of when that's kind of when most Americans started to know anything about Melville. I think one thing that made his uh, made people like difficult to at the time to read him was that he ch- apparently changed styles like drastically from book to book too. Yeah, like, he was like very readable in the beginning. He kind of wrote like kind of poppy, um, like newspaper type stories. Sort of, you know? yeah, exactly. Like pseudo journalistic accounts of like travels and stuff. Yeah. But then he like got more and more, you know, into certain issues that I think people either went over their heads or they were just like not keeping up with his style changes. But yeah, he just kind of like was constantly evolving writing style wise. And I guess the the peak or the, you know, the end point of that was this book. Yeah. And I think. I mean, again, I need to, I do, I do, I promise I'll read Moby Dick. I promise. Uh, Who are you promising, dude? Yeah. Myself. (laughs) (laughs) The inside God. Uh, Yeah, the wheels in my head. Um, I forget. I heard his first book, though, was was very strange. Like, almost, like, surreal. And then he reeled it back. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. So going back a little bit to the it, – it, it's it's hard and maybe un, unproductive to go through this chronologically per se in terms of the like unfolding of the events because, you know, like as I've said, it does – the whole book takes place over a day. Uh, shout outs to Joyce again. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, 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 and there are some ways that the events link together in terms of the interlocking um, mechanisms of some of these scams. Um for example, you know, the and I, I just wanted to come back to your initial point, whatever you were going to make about the the crippled um, African-American man on the boat yeah. who becomes like the spectacle. Uh, I don't know if you had a specific point you wanted to make about that or just wanted to kind of start there. It's just that it's that's where it. I feel it. You know, like you said, yes, there's potentially this 
guy seeding seeding notions to then sub <laughs> you know subvert later on but that's the first in, you know instance of um cuz the word confidence also appears in every segment almost on every page it feels yes. like yeah uh so like there's this uh yeah there's this african uh sort of crippled guy going around uh just begging for change and like doing a little song and you know people are you know kind of delighted and, and are giving him some money as they wait for uh to board the boat and then uh a guy who's crippled a little bit less he has like a gimp leg or something is like i don't think he's i don't think he's crippled and then and then everyone starts to be like what are you sure like that's and then at some point someone's like i don't think he's black <laughs> right i think it's, then, i forget if yeah. it's the same guy or someone else but yeah i think it's like two other people yeah. and and it's just like and so then there's a, a, an immediate and very obvious discussion about like identity and like how can you feign it and they're like yeah, they talk about like minstrel shows and like fucking white people playing black people and like the guys like those are yeah, but that's just a joke. They don't look black and then he's like, "Well, you know, who knows?" and I don't know. And then this idea of like right. this brotherhood of of being maimed and like two cripples and he's like, "Well, I'm less so than you and also I think you're fake." I don't know. It was just like immediately there is all of these Yeah, I- identity and sort of group identity becomes like instantly important. And instantly toxically destroyed and there's just no challenged yeah 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 uh, there's no shared shell there's no uh shared solidarity and like shared experience there's no you know yeah so it's just it it goes hard immediately right and then everyone gets on the boat yeah and then i mean i mean i think so like and then speaking to the point that i was making earlier about how these these scams interlock the way that scene sort of ends is that there's this uh, preach there's this like minister or religious man who's like right. look we need to um he's a little bit suspicious but then he feels bad about it being suspicious because he's supposed to be trusting of his fellow man and and sympathetic and so on and so on and so he's like listen we need to we we should believe this guy of course he's crippled of course he's like this is all real yeah um <laughs> yeah. and and then you know but then he's also like uh well can can you prove it <laughs> basically yeah. <laughs> right and then, and then and then and then the 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 um yeah the i'm not cri- about to look like a jackass yeah exactly then the show the, me a little something and then the 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 confidence man it uh disguised as the african-american um uh, uh crippled guy in your opinion he, he in my yeah in my yeah yeah but but then so this is the point he goes yeah of course i can prove it just go find my friend with the the leaf in his hat or whatever Right. Right. Yeah. Or what is it? The grass, like the grass or the weed. I forget what it is. Weed in the hat. Yeah. Weed, so, weed, yeah. right. Well, yeah. The weed in the weed in his hat or whatever. And they're like, okay. Yeah. And so then, then that's kind of the next step is trying right. to go find this person with the weed in his hat. Who's like, oh, this is my friend. He'll vouch for me and all that stuff. And then of course, right. Every time when they find the next person in the chain, yes. they're like, oh, you know what? I just saw that other guy leave the boat at the last stop. That's uh, true. You know, yeah. So I yeah, I just think it's pretty clear that this is all one guy like telling this this long scam narrative. He's like the apex predator. He's like the xenomorph. Yeah, exactly. I'll buy it. I mean, I barely read this book anyway, so I, I can't even really have an opinion on <laughs> 
what I, <laughs> you, you can, I thought you, he was you, the same guy. You can't bear, you either read it or you don't. And you read it, dude. Uh, so I will say that, that I, all the words, I read the words on the page. <laughs> that's basically all I could say about this. I mean, that's, it, the, that's the Paul guarantee. That's the Paul yeah. guarantee. <laughs> the words met my eyes. I mean, it is it, it, it is worth <laughs> saying that like this is not an easy book to read. I would no. say. I, I think this is a is this this would fit under the sort of um, conceptual umbrella that we've been that we've talked about a lot on this show. Uh, the sort of like narrative of of what is and is not a quote unquote difficult book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a difficult book. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's difficult in the in the in the sense of um the the depth as opposed to the even immediate difficulty of reading it, you know? Like even just talking now is like I did kind of forget that he could just be this like uh polymorphous single entity. And then, like, what that would even mean? Yeah, I don't know. And well, and also just like the narrative and like the the lack of an actual plot too makes the whole reading experience pretty difficult because it, it is just like kind of segmented. There's what like fifty chapters? 60? Yeah, there's like fifty plus chapters, I think. Uh, maybe maybe just under fifty. The last it's a uh, forty five. Yeah, but it's like you know some of them lead into the next chapter, but some of them will just like be shorter and jump backwards or jump to a completely different thing that doesn't come into play ever again. And then there's a, then, there, then there's a few weird sections that are just like their own kind of like self-contained stories or parables told by a character to another about this or that topic. Like there's the long, long section about the, the like general who like dedicated his life to like hating native Americans as much as possible or yes. y- you know, um, which the is metaphysics a, of Indian hate. Yeah, the that's the chapter title, which we need to talk about. Which because I think yeah. that's a really interesting and weird section. But then there's the there's the the parable of um, um, what's his name, China Aster. Yeah. Um, which I read some some interesting stuff about that. Like arguably, this is kind of a retelling of her, of Melville's father's situation. This is yeah. a, a, about someone who. Um, takes out you know it's about the evils of loans basically and someone who takes right. out a small loan from a friend and it ruins his life um and then there's a few other things like that and then also there are these there's like three i think there's like three weird little like philosophical interludes where the narrator is just talking to the reader directly about like <laughs> various concepts in fiction and like the characters that they're reading about just lit crit. Um, yeah, 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 straight exactly. up literary theory. Yeah. It's just like, what do you, do you really think that real is real? Yeah. Like just, j- just directly to the reader, like very, very, very out of nowhere, which adds the, you know, very final Deadpool. layer. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Shit. <laughs> this book reminds me of Ryan Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> dude, Ryan Reynolds is a modern day confidence man, dude. He is. He's a. He would be perfect. He's so quick. He would be perfect in a confidence man movie. He's yeah. so charming, but the kind con- of dangerous. Confidence man movie, oh starring Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Just in blackface, right at the beginning. <laughs> oh. <laughs> God. oh my god. 
well, I think I, this book. I, yeah, right. The, the first of all, the sort of fourth wall breaking. Just like, what do you even think reality is? <laughs> you know, what do you think a representation of it would look like? Kind of stuff um, is super interesting, and that adds the next layer, which is obviously authorial intervention on all of this right like again like i love this kind of thing you know because it's just like the further back you can find these same qualms in certain art it, the more interesting it gets like you know he's like am i just manipulating you essentially i guess is like part of what he puts in the reader's head directly Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I kind of just want to read a little bit from a couple of those chapters or from one and then maybe we can come back to them. So the, yeah. the, the chapters in question are 14, 33 and 44 are these kind of like meta, like directly addressing the reader, um, like, yeah, like literary theory, just like meditations. And so the first one is <laughs> the first one is, is called worth the consideration of those to whom it may prove worth considering. <laughs> <laughs> which is like already just hilarious it's just like tautological right yeah um so he's talking about realism which i think is important and like what is the nature of realism in literature and specifically in terms of the way characters are, are drawn and portrayed because i think melville is speaking to literary realism of his time right sort of directly in terms of like um you know, potential critiques of the way he's approaching this book. And so anyway, he says, um, this is a bit long, but, but stick with me. Um, true. It may be urged that there is nothing a writer of fiction should be more, should more carefully see to as there is nothing a sensible reader will more carefully look for than that in the depicting of any character, its consistency should be preserved. But this though, at first blush, seeming reasonable enough may upon a closer review prove not so much. So, for how does it couple with another requirement, equally insisted upon, perhaps, that while to all fiction is allowed some play of invention, yet fiction based on fact should never be contradictory to it? And is it not a fact that in real life a consistent character is a rara avis, rare bird in Latin? Which being so, the distaste of readers to the contrary sort in books can hardly arise from any sense of their untrueness. It may rather be from perplexity as to understanding them. But if the acutest sage be often at his wit's end to understand living character, shall those who are not sages expect to run and read character in those mere phantoms which flit along a page like shadows along a wall? And I, I, I just think that's such an interesting like way of putting the question of like realism, right? Because we talk about character and realism as like, oh, this character felt so real and felt so their, their, their characterization was rock solid and clear and consistent throughout but of course, no one's actually fucking like that in real life, right? Right. And, and so the, he's making this point, uh, which I th uh, I think further lends evidence to the idea that the confidence man is supposed to be one person, because he's constantly shapes like shape shifting and adapting and evolving and becoming these different identities, which is closer to the way Melville sees actual people behaving than the sort of like one clear concise solid character description that is that that was supposed to be the gold standard of like realism in literature and i th i think that's also though his critique of like the let's say the result of the popularization of emersonian self-reliance being this 
valorization of like how beautiful it is that the like the, the perfectly self-reliant man is somebody who adapts to all situations and like kind of trying to demonstrate the the ugly side of that that idea like how it actually is manifesting potentially in like an ugly world that incentivizes the worst of that that notion of self-reliance but still i think that's that's part of what he's he's not happy with even though he may might not have a a, a solution per se you know yeah and I, I mean i think sorry i just want to read a little more because i thought this section was really brilliant and and also funny mm-hmm. um it, it, so this is on on 85 the next page of that that chapter if reason be judge no writer has produced such inconsistent characters as nature herself has it, it, it must call for no, saga- no small sagacity in a reader unerringly to discriminate in a novel between the inconsistencies of conception and those of life. And elsewhere, experience is the only guide here. But as no man's experience could be coextensive with what is, it may be unwise in every case to rest upon it. When the duck-billed beaver of Australia was first brought stuffed to England, the naturalists, appealing to their classifications, maintained that there was, in reality, no such creature. The bill in the specimen must needs be in some way artificially stuck on. (laughs) (laughs) And and I just think that's such a great example and like such a like just deep dig at a lot of his literary contemporaries, frankly, and their ideas, their ideas of of character. Yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Right. He's definitely like. This is such a shallow, almost insulting notion, the capital R realism stuff. Well, and, 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 and even more specifically, that it's less real. Yeah, right. Because of that, you know? Yeah. And I think, uh, despite there being not a uh, quote-unquote plot, first of all, like Gabe is saying, the the scams do link to each other and interrelate. Mm. Uh, and then also, I think just more basically, the build-up to the complexity of what's being discussed also has like kind of linear quality where you get introduced with like this he shows the development of how all of these kind of scams and lies and 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 opportunistic adaptations build out i think uh so that you know initially like there's like a merchant uh who gets scammed uh by the confidence man like early on, right? Just by being like, no, no, we like, he's just like, we've met before. And the guy's like, yes, the guy's like, no, he's like, look, I'm, I'm fucking dude. I'm, I'm really put out. I'm, I'm broke. Like, and the guy's like, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know who you are. He's like, no, we've met. We actually spent like an evening together, like hanging out and we were like super close. And it was like, I remember that. And the guy slowly like, is like, dude, maybe I forgot about you. I'm so sorry. He incepts him super hard. Yeah. And then he's like, so like, you know, would it be like, honestly, dude, you're like the best. Like, can I just get $10? <laughs> and then the guy yeah. gives him the money and then he ups the ante and sends him to the other, his other fake persona uh and he's like you know what there's another guy on board here who uh has a great investment opportunity he's like selling bonds or stocks in this company at a very like uh under undervalued rate 
Yeah, he's like the market's like not properly valuing this company because there's a lot of like bad press about it. But it, I, I happen to know it's on the up and up. So like, if you want to get in on the ground floor with this, like you you're you stand to make a lot. Uh, so that's that's like the I feel like that's maybe he the, sells in Bitcoin basically. <laughs> you know, whatever uh, future, right? I think that's like generally like what we're again why this book is so awesome is like the scam has remained the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? right. like it is starting to develop in earnest now which is why it's so interesting and and why i feel like melville melville is is so perspective uh perceptive and this might have to do with his biography but just like to this kind of thing uh but yeah like the 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 false promise of the future kind of also is a thing like just just wait or just trust me you know that's that's like one of the main axes of like trust that the compass man is using all the time is yes. like something will occur in the future that's positive trust me well yeah i mean there's there's like one example where i think it's it's he's um there's like an old guy like a sick old guy down in the in the ship that was the dirtiest one and, that was the dirtiest he, he just goes on yeah. him and he like he just you know, kind of gets this guy feeling like we're friends, we're cool, it's all good. And like, he literally is just like, if you give me a hundred dollars now, you'll get more later. Like, that's yeah. literally it. That's like literally the whole scam. Yeah. And the guy's like, I have like four 1957 pennies. Can I get like one box? And he's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, that'd be unfair, sir. <laughs> and like, that guy's characterized as like shitty too, but just like, still able to be taken advantage of that's like, the uh, the miser sick. right yeah he's sick but he's a miser and like that's not a that's not an admirable quality but you still end up being like damn this guy for however much this guy is a uh, miserly penny pincher maybe over like exaggerating his illness or whatever it's still like fucked up he's still old and well i think that's also a really interesting um aspect of of a lot of the characters who get scammed is that they also have very there's suspicious clear always. character flaws, right? Yeah. There's the miser. There's the um, young um, student who's like super arrogant and like super kind of like thinks he knows everything. And uh, he's there. Re- I forget what he's reading, like um, Horace or something. Tacitus. Ta- yeah, Tacitus. Right. And the the confidence man is like, oh, don't read that crap. This is like that's going to ruin your life. Here, read this other thing. Uh, you know, go buy it for my friend who's selling the. You know, whatever. Right. I know what it is. It's because it matters. He's like, don't read all of these like, you know, uh, all these Greek and like Roman people. Read Mark Atkinside's uh, poetry, The Pleasures of the Imagination, which. I didn't really further look into that, but it, it just seems like a dig at like this whole idea of like the future and like your imagination is what's being hijacked to right. to manipulate you. It's not don't 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 think about the past or whatever. Think about yeah. how great things are going to be in the future. And this is this is part of the social critique. I feel like is you know that th- th- that's where like eyes culturally were being turned in general. Um, this industrialized shift this cultural you know the the civil war and then this industrial shift by the late 1800s and into the early 20th century is like we're done we're done being stationary we're talking we're starting to ramp up this sort of um the notion of progress and so we need you to sort of just believe in something that is not tangible 
uh, and has not. There is no like argument for just having existed prior or anything like that. It's just you gotta trust me. I think one of the most like uh, striking literary points that I found was like uh, just the use of the word confidence, man. It like after you know only a few pages, you like become distrustful of the actual phrase, right? Mm-hmm. It's like anytime that is being used, you're just like, obviously this is being forced by this guy, and it's it's a yeah. Well, the word's meaning gets basically maxed out. Ex- yeah, that too. Like there, I feel like there was ended up being a thousand definitions of the word confidence. Right. Yeah. Even yeah, hundred percent. It's 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 that it's just the classic like linguistic phenomenon of just like the meaning starting to like melt away after after overboiling you know what i mean it's just like turns into this mushy nothingness after being used so often and so repetitiously there's another just like even i have the uh fuck i forget what it's called the reader's digest kind of american you know heritage copy but it's on 48 to 50 i'm not gonna read the fucking pages but it's like right away i was struck by there's this guy who's talking about like global charity like in that segment and even that i was like it's just what's still fucking he was just talking about like ngos essentially (laughs) like like, yep he was just like you know if everyone just gave you know i don't know i forgot fuck let me read a little bit of it uh the world's charity is to be a society whose members shall comprise deputies from every charity and mission extant. The one object of the society to be the methodization of the world's benevolence, to which end the present system of voluntary and prom- promiscuous contribution to be done away, and the society to be empowered by the various governments to levy annually one grand benevolence tax upon all mankind, as in Augustus Caesar's time. Uh, the whole world to come up to be taxed, a tax which, for the scheme of it, should be something like the income tax in England, a tax also, as before hinted, to be consolidated, to be a consolidation tax of all possible benevolence taxes. <laughs> as in America here, the state tax and the county tax and the town tax and the poll tax are by the assessors rolled into one. This tax, according to my tables, calculated with care, would result in the yearly raising of a fund little short of 800 millions. This fund to be annually applied to such objects and in such modes as the various charities and missions in general Congress presented might decree, whereby in 14 years, as I estimate, there would have been devoted to good works the sum of 11,200 millions, which would warrant the dissolution of the society as that fund judiciously (laughs) expended. Not a pauper or heathen would remain round the world over. But he's lying. And, he's uh, basically talking about Bill Gates. Yeah. Like, he's, he's Bill Gates. And he's just like, send me money. It'll go to some pyramid scheme or just some murky concept of good. The charity to end all charities. Good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it was just so funny to me. And it was called, like, uh, uh, what was it called? The Wall Street Spirit. Yes. I just like, damn, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these are the sort of things that like are super early in the book. Like, uh, and then things get a little more, I, I would say, metaphysical in a way as they move further in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it will, because later in the book is when he starts kind of like, um, 
<clears throat> interacting with characters who are, I would say, like less less easy marks for various reasons, right? So there's the there's the Char- Charlie Noble who himself seems to be kind of a scammer. Um, yeah. And then there's uh, before that there's the um, the Missourian who right. is this like really kind of just like hard nosed like don't fucking talk to me I don't I'm not gonna listen to anything you have to say I like he's a misanthrope just, yeah he's yeah he's characterized as the the misanthrope um and so it was a challenge for the confidence man exactly yeah and so he yeah. he encounters these kind of like progressively less easy marks and then has to kind of step up his game as it were in terms of like walking them through these like really obtuse convoluted like philosophical argumentations about why they should loan him 20 bucks you know what i mean like it just, beca- it just becomes like like it's like very very like wild but that's what i love about it is that like the missourian comes in and he's somebody who you know uh so i would say the confidence man is the herb seller right yeah in that uh, interaction yep and he's you know like a common man would be, he's a moderate on slavery. The Missourian's a the Missourian's an abolitionist, but he's also a, like because everyone needs to have the freedom to be fucking left alone. So right. he's still like an individualist on some level, which is I think what gets exploited ultimately. But the point is like, yeah, he is the sophisticated mark. He's the person who has had the education and has led him to this, you know, whatever stereotype of of being, which is a, a misanthropic person and so like that's when all these like name drops like the johan george zimmerman on solitude and francis bacon on knowledge or and hume on suicide just get dropped as like it feels a little bit like you know obviously melville's read these things and like is in conversation with himself a little bit maybe uh but yeah just like here's how you know that this person read all the other texts that make you think this and this is how you can still (laughs) fuck with people because they're reading a script essentially yes Mm -hmm. well and i think it's telling that the 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 chapter chapter 21 where the missourian is introduced is is just titled a hard case yeah right yeah yeah. (laughs) because it's not it's not as simple as a lot of the other characters that the confidence man has has scammed previously in the book the titles are are as funny as anything wallace writes you know like over wordy kind of like silly yes you know but yeah, that's all I have to say. But I forget what happens ultimately to the Missourian, though. I, well, well, so ultimately, so the Missourian, the, the way that the way that the confidence man finally winds up scamming him is not in their initial conversation at, when he's the herb doctor. He leaves, does something else and then comes back and interacts with the Missourian again as the um, philosophical intelligence officer. <laughs> Which is uh, the CIA, which right, which is I I don't know if there was some like uh, historical context to that term, but this is basically a guy who runs like a a, a temp agency, except for like young men to go like live with someone and do labor for them on their farms and stuff. Right. 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 Um, And so he comes back and talks to the Missourian and they get into this this really long you know philosophical discourse about because the missourians like i've had too many bad experiences with hiring young guys they're all scoundrels they're steal from me and and you know sleep on the job and they're lazy and blah 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 blah. so i'm never gonna hire one again i'm waiting for you know speaking of 
again, speaking to the context of the time, he basically goes, I'm wait, I'm going to wait for automation. I'm, I'm going to wait for all these fucking jobs to become automated on my farm and I'm going to buy the machines. I'm not hiring any more dudes to come help me out because they've all right. sc- scammed me. And uh, the confidence man in the guise of the philosophical intelligence officer engages him in this very long and detailed argument about like persistence of identity because the Missourians position is that, you know, the classic like uh, uh, the boy is the father of the man or whatever mm-hmm. type thing where he's like, all boys are scoundrels and therefore all men are scoundrels and I'm not hiring anymore and blah, 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 blah. And um, the the confidence man gets into this whole thing about St. Augustine, who like changed his entire life from boy right. to, to man. Yeah. And, um, you know, ultimately the Missourian just kind of like uh, has like an emotional breakdown and just starts like screaming like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not hiring anymore. They're all terrible and da, 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 da. But, but finally he's just like, well, do, do, do you really have a good one though that yeah. I can hire? And he's like, I have a and great. He's like, yeah, I do. I have the best one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's got a great head on his shoulders. He's got good shoulders. Yeah, exactly. You know. And then, and then he's he like, Give me twenty bucks. And then he's like, here, take this and send him my way in a couple months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you so, just know there is no boy. So, I, 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 yeah, of course, yeah, of course, there's no of actual. The, yeah, the philosophical intelligence office does not exist. No, um, <laughs> I wish it did. Yeah, I know. Me too. I'd work there. Um, <laughs> but I think what's interesting about the Missourian as a character in that moment is that he is like the opposite of the confidence man. He's like a caricature with like a stable identity. He's like, I'm I forget his, his actual name, Pitch or something, I think. Or Pith. I forget. He has a name. It starts with a P. The philosophical. No, the uh, the Missourian. I forget oh, the Missourian's yeah. actual name, but he's like, you know, I'm this guy and I believe this and I'm not, you're not going to fucking change my mind. He's very like one dimensional, kind of a caricature of a certain type of like frontiersman person in Amer- in the American psyche at the time. And that right. stands in stark uh, contrast to the confidence man who's this like weird fluid you know, identity shifting chameleon person. Right. Um, so I just think that's a, like an illustrative exchange because it, it, it like, I think really sets up the two poles of like what Melville is working with in terms of identity and character. And he's a hard case because in this, finally the confidence man had to, uh, transform twice in order to triangulate a position that could pin him down. You know, where he'd be like, just to, to just get enough of a wedge of doubt in there. Are you saying what he, like he, the first time he met him, he was there. He was the herb doctor, right? Yeah. So he had what? Yeah. So he had to transform totally. He had to learn. Yeah. He had to like figure him out and come back as a different person. Yeah, he's the T one thousand. He's Mystique you know? from X Men to keep. Him <laughs> yeah. Marvel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and then, you know, I, I'd say like, you know, there's a bit of like, it's not entirely like I would say the Missourian kind of has to break for the point to be made by Melville. It's mm. not fully clear to me why he would except just by exhaustion or something. But yeah. Or he just points to like the level of charm the confidence man has. 
But if you're all, I guess if you just, if it's true though, like if you have enough people sort of demanding the same sentiments from you who are all, all different, but kind of all the same in their thought and their aim, you can, you can get broken down, I suppose. So it's not like unrealistic that that would happen, you know, like, yeah, they should probably like make people that are, are working at a insurance company read this book. Oh God. I don't know. Oh geez. That would be dark. Well, Don't yeah, the power of literature. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think in, in in terms, you guys are talking about how he like actually breaks down the the Missourian psychologically, kind of. Well, I'd say it's the first time that the confidence man had to take on two manifestations in order to achieve his goal. Yes, right, right. Yeah, and I think like you know a lot some of the stuff, and this again speaks to the historical development that Matt was talking about earlier. Like, it does read as like. Come on, man. Like, how did people fall for this shit? Like, this guy just being like, have confidence in the human race. Loan me 20 bucks. Yeah. Uh, you know, but this this was obviously a very different time in terms of, like, that being, like, a social value. You know what I mean? That being something that people wanted to live up to and be like, I'm a good Christian. I'm a good citizen of this country. I believe in my fellow countrymen. And I, I sort of presume that they're telling me the truth and that we're all in this thing together. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, right, mm-hmm. and so I think that it hits a little different today when we're all so distrustful of fucking everyone we meet, basically. Um, but it also does relate to today too, because there's plenty of people that still get fucking scammed by people on the internet all the time, all the time. <laughs> you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. When I was dude. in the hotel, I was the Nigerian watching. prince. Yeah, yeah. When I was in the hotel, I was watching this Nicolas Cage movie. Where he played a con man, oh, I forget what it was called. Definitely not the Wicker Man. <laughs> con Air. But it, was, it was something man. <laughs> the Confidence but, Man uh, Air. <laughs> matchstick. But in the beginning of the movie, uh, he was like. You it know, probably was Matchstick Man. It was right? Matchstick Man, and it was really okay. good. I only watched half yeah. of it. I like that movie. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I want. I'm gonna finish it. Um, but yeah, totally. I was reading this book while not at the same time. But you know what I mean? Um, Thinking about the movie? Yeah, totally. Just like that kind of person is still out there. And there's still people that get swindled by that kind of level of of conning, too, which is, you know. Or just like just like catfishing is like the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you take on a new identity in the digital space and you uh, con people into giving you money. It's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's uh, sexually based in a way that this these were not, but <laughs> right. similar vibes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there's also just another funny idea that's brought out sort of towards the end is the idea of the unfriendly accommodation, which I just laughed at, which is yeah. just like you can give some starving man uh, some food or, or some means to make bread or something and then. I mean, he's basically, like I said before, I think he goes pretty hard on the whole loan thing, the interest of a loan and just like the evil of usury, I guess, is the term. Mm -hmm. Well, and then it comes sort of full circle to the barber at the end, too, right? Or towards the end where the there's at the beginning of the book, the barber on the ship prominently displays a uh, no trust sign in front of his right. uh, thing, which means you can't get a haircut on credit. You got to just pay cash. Um, 
and then by the end of the book, the confidence man, I forget, I think still go, still going as the cosmopolitan at this point. The confidence man basically like stops the show, ends it being the cosmopolitan for it feels like almost a third of the book. Yeah, yeah, and th- I got to say that was one thing that I like just just in terms of the fun that I had reading the first half of the book where he's switching identities like so quickly. I, I was a little bit um, uh, bummed that he stuck with the identity of the cosmopolitan for as long as he did on, in the back half. Yeah. 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 The, the little phrase was, yeah, the little phrase was uh, the loan of friends act, the auction and enemies. <laughs> uh, but I think he stays as the cosmopolitan because like, I mean, I think some, again, one of those academic articles, I wish I could attribute better, but uh, the description is like, he is he is the uh, false savior, basically. Like, he's kind of the, it's really easy to think that he's the good guy by the end of the book, that the cosmopolitan is like the correct position to have. And even I don't have a very strong critique and it, you're right, Gabe. It does make a lot of sense if you see him as uh, more make more sense uh, if you see him as like uh, the same entity, basically. You know, morphing into this final compl- complicated form that's still got the same intentions to like trick and scam and <laughs> lie to you. Well, it it does make sense to me though that like you'd you'd want to settle on that form if you're a swindler con man though it's like you wouldn't you want the social esteem to to, to gain that confidence from someone by being like appearing up upper class? It's kind of like the the Gandalf the White version of the confidence man. He turns into <laughs> it's basically <laughs> Frieza's final form. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I mean, I do think you know. There's probably a lot there in terms of um, like social views and class politics, in terms of sort of like you know, because it's not sort of like it's interesting that it, it it does build sort of in sophistication, where he starts out as this deaf, di- deaf, dumb, mute guy holding up a sign, and then goes to this you know. Um, person who can't you know this like uh, a figure of social pity like this crippled uh, african-american man and then he kind of slowly progresses up the like social ladder within his character character scams to and class too i guess that's what i mean yeah like yeah, yeah class and sort of like social general social status to this figure of the cosmopolitan which is where he kind of eventually settles and those identities are accompanied by increasingly kind of complicated um and difficult like gambits that he has to use with his interlocutors like at the beginning of the story at the beginning of the novel it's like look i'm poor and and i can't walk like just give you know throw money in my mouth which is literally what happens yeah (laughs) and then by the end it's like i have to talk to you for eight pages about uh saint augustine in order to get you to you know, give me 20 bucks for this, uh, farm hand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the question is, what, Oh, go Paul. I was going to say it is, it's interesting that like he, he levels up socially, but the amount of money doesn't seem to get any higher. <laughs> right. True, it's always true. like 10, $20. <laughs> so it's almost it's like, like that's not what it's about for, for him or something. Yeah. Well, to, to be fair, that amount of money back then 
would be a lot compared to now. Like if someone gave you 10 bucks then, that would probably be like at least 50, 70 dollars now, probably more. I'm not good at this kind of shit. Yeah. But it is a bit of like it seems like towards the end also like a love of the game. You know? Yes, it's just like definitely. damn, I got him. Then yeah. I'm good. Fuck. But the other thing I was going to say was that like right like he's using these disingenuous and complicated arguments by the end and that's when it feels more like a insidious evil if he w- i mean it, it, there's nothing wrong with like giving money to someone with no legs you know what i mean like uh what's wrong is that he's it's potentially right, not right. not a real guy and that, he's yeah. lying and uh <laughs> like it's the existence of that person that is causing there to be an evil that spreads to every class, every status, and every interaction of everybody in every class and every status in a way that's poison for the entirety of, like, society. Um, and, I, yeah, so, like, that's the problem. And there's no way to know who that is. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, and I think it's, I mean, yeah. I mean, one of the other things I think is really interesting in terms of the progression is that, like, there are, at at the very end of the book, spoilers, like, he's almost found out by, at least the way that I read that scene, where him and this other guy are sitting around reading the Bible uh, in this cabin, this old guy, and there's a bunch of people kind of sleeping in these bunks, like, chiming in at, like, sort of like a Greek chorus, almost, like, (laughs) um... But this kid comes around with his oh, own yeah. with his own his own kind of like little mini kind of mini scams. And he's trying to sell. He sells him like a 10 cent, um, you know, little uh, uh, way to lock the windows of his room. So people baby can't. So people, yeah. Baby confidence man. So people can't get in and, ste- and, and, and steal his money. And he sells him confidence like a, tw- a 25 cent other little trinket. But one of the things that he sells to this old man that the confidence man is talking to is a. Um, uh, like a little microscope type thing that that he claims can help you detect counterfeit bills, and the confidence man, I, I I believe, has just given him some counterfeit money or something. There's some, there's something, and so the guy's looking at it and he's like, "This <laughs> yeah. this this is fake, dude. Like this money's fake." And the confidence man kind of has to scramble. He's like, "Oh no, it's not. That 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 guy was scamming you. There's no, you can't trust those things." Um, <laughs> And that, that's kind of how the book ends is him almost being found out through this, you know, little baby confidence man scammer. Right. And so the cycle kind of starts anew, it seems. And and I also read a little bit that, like, some people interpret the ending of this book, which the, the final line is just um, I guess I'll just read the final paragraph. Yeah. Um, the next moment, the waning light expired. And with it, the waning flames of the horned altar and the waning halo round the robed man's brow, while in the darkness which ensued, the cosmopolitan kindly led the old man away. Something further may follow of this masquerade. And that's the end. And some people have interpreted that as Melville intending to like write a sequel or another, another text dealing with the confidence man. Which I think would be interesting because it does feel sort of cyclical. Like there's a clear progression in this day from – so in terms of like we said, social status, class, and then the cycle starting with this little baby confidence man who comes around at the end. And you could you can absolutely just see him running this whole thing back 
in a week on another boat going the opposite direction, you know? Yeah. So you think, is it extra depressing that you think maybe there was a uh, potential furthering of the themes that would have been some sort of more hopeful, I don't know, take on on, on how things were developing, but he was so depressed that he couldn't even write it? (laughs) I mean, I think it's it's true to life, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're... They're talking about he had plenty um, of time. He didn't. He, he kind true. of Jr. Or, uh, yeah, he could have done it for sure. F. Scott Fitzgerald. He kind of J- George R. R. Martined it. <laughs> <laughs> George R. R. Melville. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not gonna write it. I'm just not writing it. I'm just not gonna do it. <laughs> I'm rich and I'm done. I'm. I'm. Uh, wait. Don't get me wrong. I'm doing it, but I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm not. Yeah. You're never going to get it. <laughs> You're never going to read it. I, I wish I had more to say about that um, biblical thing, too, because they were they were talking about, like, the wisdom of Solomon. And uh-huh. like, they were getting into, like, th- they were getting also, I think, notably into the apocrypha of, you know, the, the, the more contestable things in the Bible that are claimed to have not been real within the Bible. Right. So like, you know, just to fur- further the themes of like, uh, who, who has the ledger of truth here? Who's exactly, you know, who's got the final say in, in where this ends and begins. Um, yeah, I love that part too. Cause there's like, uh, you said there was like that alternating light. Right, that was like blinking over the thing, and I believe in the beginning Something of like that, that, yeah. that last chapter, there's just this like kind of creepy image of uh, it's literally the devil on your shoulder, right shoulder, or whatever, the angel on your other shoulder. Like, the light was like illuminating a painting in such a way that it was like lighting up alternatingly an angel and a devil, and then there was like uh, so it was like a saint and Jesus, and then like Moloch. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Being lit in alternating time, which is kind of just a cool image. Uh. Yeah. What about the? Uh, we should talk about the Indian hating. Yes, we need to talk about this oh, section. Brought, yeah, so this is a, uh, you know, one of the, uh, obviously to modern ears, we uh, m- most difficult sections to read, I guess, in terms of just like. You know, racism. Um, yeah. <laughs> because it's, 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 uh, well, yeah. Do you want to lay it out? Uh, no, you do it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's talking to, um, uh, I believe this is the beginning of his conversation with, um, oh, I forget. Who the hell is he talking to in this section? Yeah. It's this is, this is the beginning of his conversation with Charlie, I believe. So he's already assumed his identity as the as the cosmopolitan, and this is I think this is the person that he speaks to the longest over the course of the the text. Um, Doesn't he? And and I think also that's important because when he's talking to Egbert, they have a fake conversation in which he makes Egbert play Charlie in a weird way. Yes, where it's just like yeah, there is a play acting segment with the mystic and his disciple. In which they both pretend to have a conversation. It's, you know. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Is it? 
Isn't his name like John something? So the the person the the person the story is about the, the and we're just we're just gonna use the term because that's what's in the text. The Indian hater um, is Colonel named John John Mordock. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, I've read uh, uh, like a few short things about like who, if anyone, this might be referring to in like actual American history. So there may be some actual like uh, historical reference points to this character, but. It's sort of talking about, I mean, it's hard to to get a handle on why this is in here, um, but it's 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 like you know it's like an almost fifty page section or 40, 45 page section of the text. It's very where, significant. Yeah, where Charlie and um, the Confidence Man as the Cosmopolitan are, you know, Charlie's telling him this story about this colonel, this guy, John Mordock, who, you know, essentially dedicated his life to uh, the, like, like purifying his hatred of Indians and, like, killing as many of them as he could to the point that he was basically just, like, living alone in the woods for most of the year, uh, although he'd had a family and all that stuff, but he was basically, he would spend most of his time in the woods, like, hunting Indians. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a story behind it and that like he, he had like a lot of people that he was in the army with, you know, killed in battle by the Native Americans. Um, and he kind of like takes the, as his life aim to... Wasn't his family as well? I think, I think some of his family too, but maybe he... I don't remember if he remarries or something because I think he still has a family by the end of it too. I, I don't remember the exact details. I think he does because that's like part of like potentially the theme like, or the lesson is that like he just neglects those people. Yes. To go live in the woods and keep hunting Indians. Right. Um, and so, I mean, I guess the whole thing about Mordock isn't the whole 50 pages, but this is where he's taught. That's all part of part of the discussion with Charlie. Because then they, they then they get into this other stuff, which maybe we should talk about too, about like the press, which I thought was interesting. But anyway, so this is all before that, um, and yeah, he's just telling him this this story about this guy Mordock, and uh, kind of I, I guess sort of trying to figure out what Mordock as a character says about humanity and men, you, and like what you- men are capable of. Do you remember what um, what Charlie's position was initially or why they started talking about it? Well, so then there's this other character in the story of the judge, right? Where, <laughs> where the judge is um, uh, someone who I believe Charlie knew, but who would use Mordock as like an example of, uh, you know... The, this sort of question of like misanthropy versus charity in our in our viewing of other men, right? Um, yeah. Like maybe has he taken some sort of cause for sympathy with his situation and ta- and just made it metastasized into something despicable? Right. I guess. Right. Exactly. Like it's certainly not a pro. Indian hating sentiment that I think is meant to be taken here. Definitely um, not. I mean, I, yeah, I read I one article that actually equated this section to um, 
Moby Dick and Captain Ahab and his desire and hatred. Oh, that's interesting. Killing whales and basically saying that like it's an inherent aspect of the American dream at the time, manifest destiny and all that shit. Just like it's it's an unavoidable aspect of of society at the time is like you know. And I believe killing that, like and exterminating. But I think there was also an irony because he's talking about abolition as well. Um, that I, I read something about how like uh, it was weirdly like you could be sort of an abolitionist and sort of even if you were a kind of soft abolitionist, as they would say, where you were like, yeah, they're people and they should be treated better, blah, blah, blah. It was still you could do that, but it was still way more socially acceptable to just be like kill all the native peoples <laughs> somehow right. also in tandem with like you know these other people should have their freedoms and it's not right it, it there was some co- like uh just sort of untenable contradiction going on in the american psyche at the time <laughs> right I, I mean one I, thing that yeah, i ahead. read uh, another thing i read that i didn't that kind of shocked me which i shouldn't be too shocked by it was that like uh, Thomas Jefferson was like a big proponent of the extermination of Native Americans. Oh yeah, um, yeah, big time. I didn't know yeah. that. Big fan. I thought that he was one of like the more liberal progressive founding fathers. There's um, he, here's the spoiler alert: there were no liberal progressive founding fathers. <laughs> they, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they just didn't, that was the, at first of all like, the, uh, the categories just didn't apply then. But yeah, I mean they were all to to a person basically, you know. Various degrees of unrepentant racists. Yeah. Well, the HBO show about um, <laughs> the f- is a total farce. I'll tell you what, <laughs> right. I was you <laughs> right. were conned into watching. I was that totally stuff. conned. Yeah. HBO confidence manned you. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I think we should talk about why. I mean, we are, but like talking about why this is in here in the first place as such a substantial chunk. I mean, I think we've already hinted a little bit at like sort of the the, the place of um, the relationship to Native Americans in the American psyche at the time. Um, but like, it's interesting that, you know, the way Mordock is described through Charlie vicariously through the judge as well, which is like, I just, I've just lose track at that point, which is like, yeah, of, yeah. of who's who and why they're talking. But he's almost this. So, okay. <laughs> Can I talk about Kant for a second? So... <laughs> Go for so, it. So, so Kant, um, you know, w- w- talked about, I forget if these are his terms. It's been a long time since I read Kant. But he talks about, like, the the good will or the great will and then the, like, evil will, right? And the, the, the good will is the person who, you know, will uh, get up in the morning and even if they don't want to and they think it sucks, right, they'll drag themselves out of bed and do the right thing. Right. Which is the Kantian sense of of duty. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You do the right thing, whether you want to or not and whatever. And so you 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 like, oh, fuck, it's four, you know, six in the morning. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go do the right thing. Well, you do it anyway. Kant's the corollary to that. And Kant thinks that this 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 type of person actually does not exist is the the evil will or the wicked will. Right. Where. You, you get up in the morning and you drag yourself out of bed in the morning. And you're like, oh, God, I don't want to, but I have to just do evil things. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's like the begrudging evildoer. And Mordok kind of felt like that figure to me where he's just like, oh, God, I don't even I don't even 
I don't even care about this anymore, but I just have to get up and go like hunt Native Americans today, you know? And I, I, I do think he probably wanted to and felt committed to it, but like, it, 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 I don't know. He's, it's a very strange character. This one confused me as well. I, like the best I could sort of wrestle from it during the reading of it was like, just the way uh, maybe like a sympathetic and and kind of understandable aversion can become something all-consuming and detrimental to your life and literally violent and bad for everyone in your life as a parallel to the kind of, you know, commodity-driven dissolution of trust amongst every per- interpersonal interaction in America or something like that. But that, that's, that's, that's the best I got in, in terms of that segment. Well, I mean, one, th- one thing that I'll say about it that I felt when I, when I, as I was reading it and, you know, obviously, uh, CW's all over the place here, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it seemed to me to be like a relatively subtle parallel to how, racist sentiments tend to develop like even to this day right where you know the 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 character of the judge at one point makes this 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 point he's talking about uh mordock's life and how he had all these people that were close to him killed by native americans and so on and so forth and he says um such are the facts the judge would say upon which if one seek to moralize he must do so with an eye to them it is terrible that one creature should so regard another, should make it should make it conscience to abhor an entire race. It is terrible, but is it surprising? And then there's this later discussion about how, like you said, Matt, he kind of like forsakes his family and like this becomes like the central aspect of his identity. And it's that progression from like one instance of something to now this is my whole worldview. You know, it's like, oh, yes. I, 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 uh, I had a friend in, in high school who was who was uh, raped by a black guy or whatever, right? right? Therefore, QED, all black people are evil. And this is all my world. This is my worldview now. Right. You know what I mean? And I feel like that that that. So that's kind of what I took from it in terms of like a critique of of the way that these views develop um, from just like you know mental and moral weakness. Now, my question is, on a cynical note, is is the confidence man perversely spinning that to, I forget if this is true, to go, you see how a prior negative experience can mutate into something horrific and all-encompassing, and therefore your lack of trust in me is a very similar quality, and therefore you should give me $20. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, because well, like that would be but, of a piece of the book. I forget but, if that's what happened. But this is the whole weird thing about that section is that the whole story about Mordock is told by Charlie, not the Cosmopolitan. Yeah. Right. So it could be that that's where Charlie's going, right? Because this the, again, this whole the whole like meta of this section is that Charlie and the Confidence Man are doing this game of chicken about who's going to spring the trap first. Yes. Yes. You know. Um, and so that could be where Charlie was headed with that story for sure. Is Charlie the first failed Mark? Is he a failed Mark? Well, uh, he, so yes, he, he, he is in the sense that, um, the, the confidence man, I believe never doesn't actually get any money out of him. 
They keep uh, trying to get each other drunk too. They're like, yes, have they a little more wine. This but they both, but they're both trying to drink less than the <laughs> other. But also being like, look, man, I actually drank a bunch. But the, the, but there's, you know, they're talking about how much they've drank, but there's only like that much gone out of the bottle of wine. And they're like, yeah. oh, you're you're wrong, man. I drank a bunch like, already. They're like, a gentleman doesn't leave a fellow gentleman hanging yeah, on, the, exactly. on the wine front. Yeah, it's such a funny, like, just like tense, interesting scene. Yeah. Um. But then, yeah. So uh, of course, there's the. Uh, uh, there's the chapters 31 and 32 are where the confidence man finally strikes first. And he's like, uh, you know, I'm I'm in severe want of money. My, my good friend, Charlie. Mm-hmm. And the other guy also being a scammer is like, <laughs> fuck, like you beat me to it. And he just jumps up and he's like, oh, you want money? And da 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 da. And they have this like fight. And then there's like, this I knew weird... this wasn't about true friendship. I it, knew you were actually always a con man. And then it, he's like. <laughs> Yeah. And then there's this weird scene where Charlie, like, metaphorically, but also written literally, like, turns into a snake and has to be, like, magically brought back by the confidence man. You remember that? No, man. What? So, okay. So this is on. Okay. So this is chapter 32. Or it's the end of. So chapter 31 is entitled A Metamorphosis More Surprising Than Any in Ovid. Okay. (laughs) And um, I'll just read all. This is all of chapter 31. In want of money, pushing his chair as suddenly, uh, pushing back his chair as from a suddenly disclosed man trap or crater. Yes, naively assented the cosmopolitan. And you are going to loan me $50. I could almost wish I was in need of more, only for your sake. Yes, my dear Charlie, for your sake, that you might better prove your noble kindliness, my dear Charlie. None of your dear Charlies, cried the other, springing to his feet, buttoning up his coat as if hastily to depart upon a long journey. Why, why, why? Painfully looking up. None of your why, why, whys, tossing out a foot. Go to the devil, sir, beggar, imposter. Never just, never so deceived in a man in my life. And then chapter 32, which is entitled, Showing that the age of magic and magicians is not yet over, uh, begins, While speaking, or rather hissing those words... The boon companion, Charlie, underwent much such a change as one reads of in fairy books. Out of old materials sprang a new creature, Cadmus gilded into the snake. The cosmopolitan rose, the traces of previous feeling vanished, looked steadfastly at his transformed friend a moment, then, taking half, ten half-eagles from his pocket, stooped down and laid them one by one in a circle around him, and, retiring oh, yeah. apace waved his long tasseled pipe with the air of a necromancer an air heightened by his costume accompanying each wave with a solemn murmur of cabalistic words meantime he within the magic ring stood suddenly wrapped exhibiting every symptom of a successful charm a turned cheek a fixed attitude a frozen eye (laughs) spellbound not more by the waving wand than by the ten invincible talismans on the floor reappear 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 oh my former friend Replace this hideous apparition with thy blessed shape, and be the token of thy return of thy return the words, my dear Frank. And then he comes back and they're like, haha, that was a weird joke. But it's like written as just like a real thing that happened. I wonder if he's another one of these demonic like shapeshifter entities and money is the only I think that the, I think that's part method. of the I think that's part of the implication, yeah. Like that they're, they're they're both Luciferian shapeshifters. Serpent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
I totally blanked on that having happened. Yeah. Or just assumed it was like, fuck, in my memory, like a metaphor, you know? Yeah. I, I thought that was one of the weirdest scenes in the book. I think Charlie is Salazar Slytherin. <laughs> Maybe. I think he's... Snake. Wizards. Baltimore. Wizards and... <laughs> snake. I think he's snake. Nagini. <laughs> Nagini. He's Nagini. <laughs> Wizards in America. This is a prequel. <laughs> yeah. Voldemort. This is a prequel to Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we, how we necessarily got to that part about the end of the, his discussion with Charlie about, oh, about Charlie being a missed mark. Or um, just an, e- an, just, uh, an equal in a way, or just some sort of, yes, you know, yes. he, f- he finally met something at his level of subhuman demonic <laughs> right. abilities. You know, right. he's like, oh shit, my bad. And he just, I didn't realize he had you to were demon. first. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Charlie flipped out and turned into a snake for a short time. Just <laughs> <laughs> shut up. Uh, um, yeah. What else? What other scenes? What other sections did you flag or you thought were were worth uh, diving a little deeper into? Well, more broadly, I was just kind of curious, like uh, you know, because it's funny. Uh, th- th- there's definitely the whole like. Uh, I was talking. Well, I was talking off the podcast with you about this game, <laughs> uh, but the problem of other minds, uh, and the inheritance of, uh, you know, the epistemology being called into doubt, and uh, that just sort of being the catalyst for the concerns of this book. And it's funny because you know we're reading Arthur Machen as well, uh, and I was just thinking Subscribe about to how YouTube. I was just thinking about how- yes, do. Uh, like how that takes place, you know, a couple decades or you know, decades after or whatever. Not decades. Uh, am I? Yeah. Uh, like in the eighteen nineties, right? Um, mm. Where that's more. I I, I just find this a similar. You know, it the same quandaries and and anxieties in a different country. You know, in England and like in a different way are like being worked through in the whole like science knows not the truth you know the chaotic truth under all this stuff pierce the veil and like you know see the ways in which we are hardly in control of this world and you know it's all a fiction and and blah 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 i i i'm reading that you know in tan a little bit in tandem with this and it was just an interesting thing you know to to read so i was just kind of curious like um do you think melville has any sort of is he pointing in any way towards any kind of authorial preference or 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 way out of the bind of just sort of the foundations of knowledge being crumbling <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if he's pointing to a way out i think he's pointing to how serious it is or try, like arguably like trying to make it worse you know like this, accelerationism like, yeah sort of like uh, you know again this this um epistemic question about how we sort of conceptualize ourselves as discrete individuals versus our increasing awareness in this time of like our social roles, our racial roles, our, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these external forces that that are brought to bear on us on a day-to-day basis, our national identities and so on and so forth, right? 
how is it that we make sense of the idea that there's some one unchanging essential uh, uh, self underneath it all. And I think in this character of the confidence man, Melville is saying that there, there just fucking isn't. Yeah, I would kind of agree. I would say he's lamenting that fact and he is in a way somebody who maybe is appealing to a kind of uh moral constancy like uh just the into kind of an intuition almost or something like that like as opposed to what like pragmatism maybe or i, I don't know you know that uh, that might not be fair but like the, uh, other copes in the f- that he might see in the face of this right which pragmatism might count as one of and as an attempt to like wrangle and deal with this situation i don't know yeah yeah i mean i think that's plausible i mean i, I think that uh you know again whether whether or not uh melville is lamenting it i'm, I'm not i'm not as sure i mean I, I don't think he's necessarily celebrating it. I think, yeah, I mean, the pragmatism thing, maybe. I mean, and I don't think, you know, um, I don't have the timeline on, like, the pragmatists, but certainly Dewey, I don't think, was writing yet or was even alive. Um, or maybe he was. Dewey was, what, 59. He was born 59, so he was 1859, so he wasn't uh, around okay. around yet. But, um, you know, certainly there were people who were kind of like... Uh, like right, like Emerson and Thoreau and pe- other sort of people working at the time were sort of getting moving into that in that direction. Purse and uh, you know James and all that. Um, I think P- Purse I think was probably alive then. Let's see, I'm just doing this on the fly. Purse was uh yeah 1839 to 1914. Okay, so yeah, American pragmatism was kind of like starting to come, starting to become a thing as a philosophy following Emerson and, and Thoreau. And I think that in terms of the, yeah, I mean, one thing Melville may be sort of advocating here is the sort of like social utility of the fiction of identity, but it's actual falsehood. Um, right. That that may be the direction that he's thinking or headed. Um, I was also thinking in, in this connection about that last kind of like meta theoretical chapter, which is chapter 44, um, which is titled... <laughs> in which the last three words of the last chapter are made the text of discourse, which will be sure of receiving more or less attention from those readers who do not skip it. (laughs) 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 Um, And the, the referenced last three words of the previous chapter are quite an original. And so this is where Melville's Melville is meditating on the idea of an original character literarily. But I also think probably uh, uh, elucidating claims that we can generalize to actual I- individual human lives as well, right? So he's talking about how, like, there's really not no such thing, but it's a very rare, uh, again, a rara avis to have any any original character or any original individual, which is, again, sort of this dig at Emerson, this kind of self-reliant, unique right. individual Melville's kind of saying that that just doesn't exist either in literature or in in real life. I think. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it, it 
maybe he was hinting at like you know who's you know by the by the last sentence of the book like uh, some never written elaboration on on these thoughts but you finish the book and i got to say it's it's a it's a bleak thing it's discouraging and uh you feel the presence of that bind very acutely and i don't know if there's been <laughs> i don't i i don't know what like is a contemporary <laughs> attempt maybe that you would you could say gabe or paul about like other ways in which maybe that have failed to try and deal with uh epistemology or something uh, it's very meta uh, like philosophical it's i'm out it's out of my depth a bit um but like what what are c contemporary maybe ways i mean i don't know if, if i don't even know if if like you you have to try to deal with it though if you just if like what's wrong with just displaying it you know because that i mean to me that is almost a way of dealing with it as is just like displaying a form of art and and how you feel about something through a book and do you have to have an answer to anything with that i, I don't know true you're right yeah i don't i don't i guess i don't like really even asking so. the question or displaying uh you know a viewpoint of the american people or whatever is just like that to me that can be enough doesn't have to be a, there doesn't have to be an answer in there yeah, I, I would say, I mean, the, the, yeah, this is a big question for our uh, philosoph uh, yeah. philosophy reading group, which you can join if you join our Patreon, uh, because then you can join our Discord. We're doing a uh, some philosophy reading there in the new year, which all of our Discord Patreon members are welcome to join. So uh, patreon.com slash spinecrackers. So that's a big question. Uh, uh, the problem of other minds, identity, etc. cetera, uh, probably not worth getting into here. And one thing that I will say is that, you know, which I think is kind of a dumb point, but maybe not totally dumb, is that, you know, in contemporary society, I think it's probably leaning into embracing this view that Melville was suggesting as a sort of um, arguably lamentable fact, which is that identity is not static. Identity is um, kind of socially interdetermined. You think about you think about stuff like um, gender, right? The way gender categories are being sort of subverted and and made less and less relevant in modern society uh, through sort of conscious decision making and pushback, like uh, mm -hmm. from people who are thinking about these issues. Um, maybe that's one sort of way in which the problem is not being solved so much as just uh, embraced that let just dissolve the whole issue. Or watching, you know, the same the same issues to a fucking T described in this book play out now in ways that are so discouraging because now we're talking about, you know, a couple hundred years <laughs> to just be like, to just be despair inducing a little bit, but also to have this book be so, ha have been so like shocking almost to read in some ways. Like, and and how uh, to this day you see stuff where people are 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 just having notions of their their uh, their freedom and the benefit of themselves being weaponized in, in super complicated and interconnected ways, and how the con goes on and becomes just like in this book, this monster, this you know, this meshwork of lies uh, that perpetuates itself. Yeah, and I think you know, just the 
the whole, you know, the sense that I get from Melville is his, his view that all of these things, identity, um, concepts of freedom, concepts of, um, you know, uh, species and national fellow feeling, none of these things are natural. These things are all social. They exist insofar as we interact with each other on the basis of them. Right. Mm-hmm. I can be in one moment a, uh, you know, deaf, deaf, mute old man holding up a sign. So long as you believe that I am that thing and you interact with me on that basis. And so for all intents and purposes, that is what I am. And I think this is why it's important that we don't ever get a sense of the confidence man's interiority. We don't ever get a sense of like what he, what he or they act like, quote unquote, actually look like or quote-unquote where they're actually from, or any of the quote-unquote actual facts about their life, is because all of these things for Melville exist, or at least what it seems to me he's saying in this book, exist insofar and exactly as far, no further than our collective buying into them in our social relations. Right. Only made possible by pre-existing notions that change with each contact with each stranger of varying... You know, biography and you know, whatever, class, etc. Exactly. That's that's some prescient shit, I would say, for eighteen fifty seven. Yeah. Or probably earlier when he was writing it. So, uh, like, is he a Slytherin? I guess. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I forgot I the Harry Potter. I... I forgot the Harry Potter song. How does it go, Paul? Dude, we, we just watched Harry Potter. I know. I was I was about to do like something totally different, Star Wars or something. Harry Potter. We can't do that with this. I mean, he's a Slytherin. He's a fucking. Your life's on the away. It's like you're always stuck in second gear. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month. Or even your year. I'll be Harry Potter. If you lend me 20 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit, I think I have to go. Yeah. Yeah, he's a Slytherin, dude. That's his easy class. The other guy guy literally turns into a snake. Yeah, yeah. like, what do we have? What's there to discuss here? Slytherin. I think most people are snakes. There's a few other people in here that are probably different houses, but not worth talking about. Yeah, I had a word. If oh, I have. Oh, I definitely have a word. Oh shit, I don't. Matt, you go first. Okay, I actually. First of all, this word rules. Second of all, I don't know how much uh, pointage it's going to give you in Scrabble. So but someone, ex- Paul, explain or Matt, explain this segment. So Paul, well, this is Paul's segment. This yeah. is Paul's. Oh, you want to search for a word though, Paul? Uh, so this is this segment is. Uh, do we have a name for it? I don't know. Do we Scrabble? Scrabble word corner. Vocab Paul's corner. Scrabble vocab, li- yeah, vocab corner. But this yeah, other, Paul's you know, Scrabble segment, I like that. A good Scrabble word, aka an excuse to learn a random piece of vocab. Uh, mine was, I don't know if this is how you say it, but Marplot, or Marplo, M-A-R-P-L-O-T. I feel like that's that could get you a decent uh, amount of points placed correctly oh, on for Scrabble sure. board. What's what? Um, okay, so what's the context of where that occurs in the text, and what does it mean? I don't remember. Okay. I just wrote it down. What's it mean? Uh, 
but it means one who frustrates or ruins a plan or undertaking by meddling. Ooh, so that's good. Uh, yeah, pretty great word. I'm trying to find mine. I know I swear I saw it earlier. I know I circled one. I, I, there was a couple that I liked in here. The, uh, again, like thinking about where the hell did it go? I think mine's magi. Ooh, that's a great word. Yeah, it, it's good because it, you can get if you can think of it, it'll get you out of a bind. Maybe, maybe get a double, triple word <laughs> in your game. You can score. crawl out of a hole. <laughs> yeah, Are well, because just... it, it uses a lot of common letters. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it's a good word to have, like to have what, in your repertoire. Does G? What does G give you? Two? G's only two, but M's three. Yeah, that could that could dig you out of a a hole if you if you're if you do it right. Okay, so mine, and I have to look up the definition because I actually didn't. I just circled it, and I just circled it and wrote word next to it. <laughs> <laughs> so mine is um. Wait, what the hell? Come on, Google, you're killing me. Um, so mine is uh, connubial. Oh yeah, connubial, C O N N U B I A L, which is sexual. Basically, it's basically another way of saying conjugal, like related right. to marriage or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I just never heard it before, and I was like, "Good word, nice good man. word." <laughs> All right, so uh, dibs not. Oh shit! Uh, for the final segment. Which is where we um, give our scores for the book. Anthony Booktano style. Oh, and uh, by tradition in Spinecracker's fiat, the person whose book it is goes last. Which means Paul has to go first because I dibs nodded. It's kind of unfair because you didn't even say that it was coming yet. You knew it was coming, dude. We do this every time. I know. I was waiting to say dibs not, but yeah, well, Gabe con- gave you to it. Yeah, I, I, yeah I confidence, man, you, dude. Give me $20. <laughs> uh, no emotional damages. Yeah. This one's really, this, honestly, this is like the hardest one to rate because I really feel like I didn't even read this book. Like, <laughs> wait, could you say a little bit more about why you feel like that? What do you mean, I mean you didn't I, read I had this like, book? I had like a prolonged ADHD experience where I was. I literally read half the book, the first half twice. I was like, no, I got nothing. Out, like, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, it just like the whole time I was reading it, listening to the audiobook, it just went in one ear out the other. I just couldn't get a grasp of the language. It just didn't click. I couldn't focus. I just couldn't focus on it. I need to like meditate or something. So it's honestly really hard for me to even rate the book because I feel like I didn't read it. I almost want to pass and like read it again in 20 years. Can That's, I do that? Can I pass? Because I, I feel like my rating is going to be unfair. You can update it later, but you cannot pass. You can't pass. but You, you shall can, yeah, not pass. Dude. You can update it later. You shall not pass, dude. <laughs> yeah. This book then, is your own personal Balrog. Yeah. It's not. It's not. like I, I just feel like I'm not going to give it enough credit because I didn't understand it or just like I didn't read it correctly or whatever. I'm just going to give it a three because I, I just... You know, I feel like if I actually did understand it, I could have gotten. I just could have been way higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think it's bad. I just think that I'm a bad uh, reader sometimes, and I yeah. have a bad reading experience. That's it's your lived experience. That's dude. your lived experience. It's your truth. Yeah. My truth is that I did not read this book, but I read it. 
If that makes any sense. Yes. Uh, three is a perfect hedge. Yes. <laughs> I don't feel that bad because I, I watch a lot of reviews on it on YouTube and people are like, this is a hard book. I feel like I need to read it again. Like people like across YouTube are saying that like, I think I need to read this book again. So it, uh, I don't feel that bad. A, it's a very hard book. For sure. Um, okay. Well, for me, uh, I loved it. I thought it was, uh, yeah, both prescient and sort of philosophically interesting uh, and kind of like a, just a, a, you know, like we said at the beginning, just a document of the time in a really fascinating sort of juncture in American history. Um, it 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 is uh, funny and I just like just viscerally really enjoyed it in terms of like these, it, it, I wouldn't say it's a page turner, but like, I was like, this is fun and cool and all these weird little stories and the, uh, the characters all seem to be, um, to be interesting and sort of serving per very various purposes to me. Um, I think that, uh, people need to be reading this book and it doesn't seem like that people are in the sort of, you know, popular reading world even though people know melville and they read melville um so i really i loved it for me it is a 4.53 whoa um i'll 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 just say ditto a lot of what gabe uh just said uh i will emphasize for those on the fence i don't know i guess if you can get around the language it is fucking hilarious also it's dark. It's just dark comedy. You know, it's just funny the situation we're in. Uh, I am with you though, Paul, in the sense that like I don't know. I don't know if you could tell that I was also kind of. I read it slowly and carefully, and even I was like forgetting shit and like. You know, scrambling around for, to recollect certain points and like make a point out of it, and. Uh, I think that's because it is, as a. Dunky would say a masterpiece. I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I think. I think you know a good, a, like a really good novel, invites many rereads and uh, rewards you for them. And uh, yeah, just prescient, interesting, funny, fucking. Yeah, to the extent it can be a page turner, I fucking loved it. Uh, I'm going to read it again at some point soon, and uh, I'm going to also give it a uh, 4.74. That's your highest score ever. I think it might it's, be. It's getting damn, it got damn close to a 5 for me. Yeah, dude. Well, so, okay, so uh, what held I, I it quit back? Reading. What held it back from a 5 for you? Because I, I, I can say what held it back for me. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know if this is like fair to it, but again, this is now get just going now into the just like bullshit subjective my lived experience. <laughs> like uh there were some hmm because of the ending it I don't know. It it did feel like uh the beginning of something. There were parts that were bloated out and felt um like kind of the personal the personal I don't know, obsessions of Melville and I felt his like finger on the scale every now and again. And, uh, and also just a personal failing of like, um, it was, I guess it was part of the theme of the book, but like 
This is all. This sounds so stupid. I don't know, but like, uh, stupid, uh, stupid. I'm, I'm do- I'm do- that stupid. sounded stupid. <laughs> this Fuck. sounds so stupid to me. Shut up, guys. Fuck, shut up. <laughs> that was smo stupid. Oh my god, guys! Stop making fun of me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I can't appeal to anything more than my like. Just like there wasn't this crystalline ping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having, no, having that's a thing. It. That's a thing. Um, yeah, I, a lot uh, of that same stuff for me. I also just wish, I, like you said, some of the stuff was like a little bit, a little much for me blo- in terms of bloatedness. Like, okay, don't I don't need that long about whatever topic. You know, I get, I get it. But then also, like, I just, I, I, I enjoyed so much the like weird chaos of the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. That I was like, I was just again subjectively, and may, there's maybe there's a good argument for why this it was written this way and all that stuff, and I'm open to that. But I was just subjectively bummed that we were stuck with the cosmopolitan for such a big chunk of the book. Like I wanted to see more identities and more scams and more shape shifting, even you than there was, be, which there was a lot to already. Nagini and just yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. It's definitely one of those books that I'm willing to say, like, I'm just not potentially getting it on on certain parts for sure. Um, that's most books, but this one I could feel it acutely um, as a possibility. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sick, Fucking awesome though. Yeah. Great book. I don't know how to what, think about this book. I'm going to quit reading it. If anyone else, if anyone wants to take auditions to take me a place, because I apparently can't read, <laughs> we'll do that on Twitter. Send in your resume. Yeah. So we're going to need some big, uh, whatever by whatever glossies. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll yes. be taking resumes. Yep. No, I'm we won't. Reading. That's not true. JK. No, you're not, Paul. Stop it. I'm never reading a single <laughs> word the rest of my life. <laughs> no more except reading about, ever. Except about food menus and uh, uh, Tinder and, and road signs. Nope. Uh, exactly. I'm not doing any of that. No oh, more. Shit. You're not eating, driving, or dating. Okay. Nope. Okay. Love that. I love that for you, Paul. That's nice. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, uh, if you're if you're still here, you'll love our Patreon. It's uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash spinecrackers where we post additional things. Um, and additional pictures. And you get to join our Discord, which is popping off. My mom just became a Patreon today. Mm. Shout outs, mom. Woo! Which is so great. Cute baby stories, maybe. Yep. It may be in the Discord. I, I said I would talk her through it. I was like, mom, it's just AOL chat rooms. You can do this. But like, uh, I, barely I don't think she knows. I don't think she even knew what those were. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Patreon, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. You know the deal. All the platforms that matter. Come on back next week where we're going to have our year-end Spinecrackers Awards Spectacular. Best books the of the crackies. year. Worst books of the year. Bunch of other categories. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And get ready for another stellar year where we do it even better somehow. Even though it's impossible, but possible is nothing. To the moon. Impossible to is nothing. <laughs> Diamond hands. Send moon, your baby. vote. In, send your votes in for host of the year. Ooh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, don't Paul, do that. Paul's I'm gonna to be last. Hurt. Oh my god. Yeah. We don't want to do that. We could make a Twitter poll. We don't want to though. No, I don't no. want to see that at all. No, no one wants to see that. 
Because Paul's going to get favorited. Yeah. I'm going to be the most, I'm going to be the, I'm the worst of both worlds. I'm pseudo intellectual, <laughs> but I don't actually have the, the beef of education like true. Gabe does, but it's I'm not nonchalant like Paul. I'm just like, yeah, I'm trying so hard. Turn this off now. <laughs> Bye. Bye.